Let's sit together. So just let your body relax. Your feet can be on the floor, or if you can sit in the chair, that's fine. Let your back be straight. Straight for your body, straight for what your body can do. Let your hands rest comfortably in your lap. You can have your palms up or down. If you're comfortable closing your eyes, you can do that. Just begin with one or two deep breaths in and out. Just to bring you to the present moment. And let your breathing just become your normal breath. But be aware of each inhale and each exhale. Just relax. You can breathe in and be aware of the peace in the room. And as you breathe out, just tell yourself, letting go or relax. Move through the body from the top of your head down. And notice any places where you feel tension and tightness. See if you can just imagine breathing into those spots. And as you exhale, just release the tension. You want to be awake and attentive but also very relaxed. Let's begin with a short loving-kindness practice, beginning with yourself, Blessings to yourself, good thoughts. May I be well. May I be content. And be happy and experience joy. May I feel safe in this world. And may I be at peace.
Our practice is to begin with ourselves, understanding how much these good wishes are uh, blessings for us, and how hard it is to receive them at times. So then we understand how other people feel. May I be well, may I be content with times of happiness and joy. May I feel safe in this world and may I be at peace. And now we can move out a little further beyond ourselves. Think of a loved one or someone you really care about. This can include family members, dear friends, teachers. May my loved one be well, Be contented with moments of happiness and joy. May my loved one be free from fear in this world. And may this loved one be at peace. Now think of a stranger. It could be someone in the group you don't know. Could be someone you passed on the streets this morning. Maybe someone you just haven't met yet. Maybe a neighbor. Someone new in your neighborhood. And send the same quality of loving-kindness and friendliness to this stranger, the same that you've sent to yourself, to your loved one. May my stranger 
be well, be contented with times of happiness and joy. May my stranger be free from fear in the world. And may my stranger be at peace. Doesn't matter who your stranger is or what the what's going on in their lives, you can still send them the same quality of metta, of loving kindness that you've sent to yourself and those closer to you. Think of think now of someone who's difficult. Someone in your life who you may have issues with at the moment, or maybe it's someone you work with, or someone you live with. can be a family member. Maybe there are just things going on that you're either upset with each other, or that person's upset with you, or you're upset with them. But right at this moment, they may be your difficult person. That doesn't mean we can't send metta to hit them exactly in the same way. May my difficult person be well, be contented with times of happiness and joy. May my difficult person feel safe in the world. And may this person be at peace. And now just allow this quality of kindness and friendliness to just radiate out from you, moving out in all directions throughout this world and out into the universe. Just allow the quality of friendliness and kindness to radiate out to all living creatures, all human beings and non-human beings, beings invisible, and the beings we can see. May all beings everywhere be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. Be free from fear and worry and anxiety. Free from hunger, from thirst. Free from 
incidences caused by climate change, May all beings everywhere be able to care for themselves or be cared for lovingly by others. And may all beings everywhere be at peace. When you're ready, just move into mindfulness practice. Just be aware of each inhale and each exhale. Just allow your thoughts to come and go. No need to feed them with your attention. Just allow those thoughts. Don't repress them, but when you see a thought arising, no need to attach yourself to it. Just let it come and go. Just keep coming back to the anchor of your breath. Remember to relax. Investigate each breath you take. Notice if it's short or long, deep or shallow.
Be aware of sounds, but just be aware, have a bare awareness of them. No need to get caught up in those. Be aware of all of your senses operating. Smell and touch. You may notice colors under your eyelids. And thinking, but just keep letting the thoughts go. Whatever distracts you, just note it, whether it's a thought or something in the environment, and then just come back to your path.
With each exhale, let yourself relax. Let your shoulders drop. Now, as we come to an end of the practice, may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for the benefit of ourselves, but for the benefit of all living beings. Thank you. Before we start the chanting, are there is anybody new here today? Just raise your hand if you are. Okay, so uh, in the chanting book, we go to page four. <coughs> Namo tase bhagavato arehato 
Sama Sambuddhase Namo Tase Bhagavato Arehato Sama Sambuddhase Namo Tase Bhagavato Arehato Sama Sambuddhase Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Dutiyampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Dhammang Saranang Gachami Tatiyampi Sangang Saranang Gachami Anicca Vata Sankara Upadevaya Dhammino Upajitva Nirujanti Te Sang Upa Samosuko Sape Sata Avera Hontu Sape Sata Apiapaja Hontu Sape Sata Ani Hontu Sape Nam Pariharan Mano Pupangemadama Mano Seta Mano Maya Manasache Padutena Vasatiwa Karotiwa Nangduka Man weti chakang wewaha topadam mano pupangemadama mano seta mano maya manasache pasanena Pasatiwa karotiwa Tato nang suka manweti 
Chaya we ana paini. Mind is a forerunner of all states. Mind is chief. Mind made are they. If with a corrupted mind one should either speak or act, suffering follows caused by that, as does the wheel follow the ox's hoof. Mind is a forerunner of all states. Mind is chief, mind-made are they. If with a clear and confident mind one should either speak or act, happiness follows caused by that, as one shadow that never leaves. We believe in generosity toward others. We believe the skillful, noble path is marked by generosity. We believe generosity has many levels. Think generously, speak generously, act generously. We believe generosity is the heart of our spiritual practice. And this practice allows us to become more open, accepting, and forgiving. We believe extending generosity to ourselves and others is a direct way of healing division, bringing joy, community for years to come. May I become at all times, both now and for those without protection who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. By means of this meritorious deed, may I never join with the unwise, only the wise, until the time I attain Nibbana. So today, this is the uh, considered the first in the series of precepts precept talks. So um, I want you to keep your, keep your chanting book with you and go to the back section. I think it's section three. So section three is called The Precepts, page 27 in the book. And on the facing page to that, it even tells you what they are. The Buddhist precepts are guidelines that can help anyone develop an ethical, moral, and harmless way of life. This way of life supports our mindfulness and noble friendships. So, ethical, moral, and harmless. And I always think harmless is a lot more important than we then we give it credit for being. You know, if you're harmless, if some, and if others around you can feel that you're harmless, they're, much, they're going to be much more relaxed and available. Uh, you know, it, it dispels a lot of fear. You think of just with little animals, but it's also true around people and other beings, other sentient beings. So harmlessness is a very important quality. So when you take 
or how, how many of you have taken uh, the precept ceremony here at the temple? And how many are thinking about doing it this year? Okay, and some people are ta- have done it, and they to be uh, a kind of a reminder to them to to keep keep going, keep going on the path. And some people may take precepts once in their life, and some never take them. So most of us, just by wanting to study the teachings of the Buddha, uh, have an interest in the precepts. They're always available to you, and uh, Taking them in a ceremony, the way we do it here at Blue Lotus, is just our tradition. It may not be the way it's done anywhere else you go to. So some people, uh, I know traditionally in Sri Lanka, it's traditional that kids even say the precepts to their parents every day, you know, as they're, before they go off to school. Or they may, may say them with the monks at a temple. But in this, in our culture, we don't we don't do a lot of those traditional things, and uh, I think it's important to know that whether you take a go through a ceremony or not, you can if you're if you're studying the teachings of the Buddha, you know how important uh, the ethical and moral foundation is for the whole entire uh, for your meditation for your daily life, and it having that ethical, moral base is the strongest support you can give your meditation practice because it, it leaves you, and if you're following precepts, and especially uh, just kind of always working, it's not, it's, when we talk about the precepts, they are, they're always even framed when you say the Pali words. It's, you're, you're undertaking the training in this quality that you'd like to, you'd like to uh, be more present with in your life. So it's a, they're training, and that and the, they're be part of the training wheels. But uh, it's not, uh, it, it's not mandated by the Buddha that you take the precepts as, as any kind of ceremony or. Uh, you can you can just work with them. It's good to take them with a monk or a nun. Uh, it, it's often done. I've seen some groups that might do it once a month. Everybody who's in the in the audience may just do the five and the ten precepts. And the people who just want to listen listen. And if people want to uh, take the precepts for either the five or the eight lifetime or the we have we call the ten uh, paramitas, the bodhisattva precepts. So if you if you're in a group that does it on a regular basis, you just are comfortably sitting in the room and you you can recite the precepts. So it's it's done different ways and different degrees of formality, but they really uh, some people will think that taking the precepts is maybe one of the first steps to becoming a Buddhist. But you don't have to be a Buddhist to take the precepts because they're, they're about living a wholesome, healthy life, helping us get rid of anger and also regrets over things that we've done. So if, you have a, if your mind is 
you're actively working on these things and it doesn't mean perfection because we're always working on these qualities that show up in our lives in pretty much everything we do. But what the biggest benefit is, it can help leave you with a, a, a blameless feeling about your behavior. Or if you slip up and do something that, you're, that you think that was a mistake, uh, you know it pretty quickly. And so you can deal with it. And uh, dealing with it is often just to let it go and know that uh, you, the, the next time that situation comes up, you'll behave differently. So there, you don't have to go to confession, and you don't have to beat yourself up, and you have to always remember that when you take the precepts, they're training guidelines. So if you, if you look at the first five on page 29... Yeah, this does have the poly in it. That's good. So if you're taking the, cer- the ceremony, I- I'd like to just say a little bit more and then let y- you, if you have comments about them or how they've affected you, I'd like you to share them with, uh, or questions, share them with the group. Because um, often when you take precepts with a group, you you can feel kind of a connection with those people. They're a little... You, know, you, you might uh, be able to go to those people and talk about something that maybe you're dealing with in your life a little more easily. And uh, years ago, we used to have a, a kind of a workshop afterwards where people from a precept group would get together for a workshop. Not a long one, but a, I don't know, was it four hours sometimes? Yeah, we'd have a half a day together, and it would be with the people who had taken the precepts and just kind of a follow-up with them. And that was, I remembered that was always uh, fun and good. So if you look at the first, the basic precepts, we're refraining from taking life. And so that, there's, there's a big, very big range. You know, that's, it's definitely, you don't kill any, you're, Goal is not to kill any living thing or any sentient being. And there are some places where plants, there are some Buddhists who consider plants sentient. And so, uh, and you may feel that way too. So then, then you have to think about that precept applying to that. But it's not, it wasn't, um, the Buddha didn't include plants as in the precept. But we certainly, uh, for each of us, we see take that differently. I mean, most of us wouldn't think, twa- you know, we, we, we would never kill another person. We're, we're pretty clear on that. We've all been raised with, with uh, ethics and morals in whatever way we were brought up. So we're pretty solid on a lot of things. But uh, it also means that we're, we're much more careful about the possibilities of uh, destroying life, whether it's bugs that are bothering us or whether it's uh, insects that eat gardens. Uh, We become a little bit more aware of how we're dealing with those things. And we have to make our own decisions, and that can be tough at times. I know one of the things that was a real teacher for me was the first time I saw one of the monks 
there were mosquitoes. It was a real hot summer, and it was back by their garden. And I think it, I can't remember who it was, maybe Bhante Samita. But there were, the mosquitoes were bad. And, and I noticed without any sort of paying attention, you know, wanting attention at all, there was a mosquito on his arm. And he, you know, I, at that time in my life, I would have just whacked it. But he just, he just, without saying anything or interrupting the conversation, he just, like, gently brushed it off of his arm, very, very lightly. And I, and I was so impressed with that. From then, from that, then on, and that was a long time ago, uh, I've, been, I've been so much more aware of that precept and, that, and the way he dealt with it, uh, that instead of that slap, uh, m- because mosquitoes are the bug. I don't mind spiders, but mosquitoes make me nuts. So seeing him be so gentle with such a... He was so gentle with that. Uh, you know, it hurts when a mosquito bites you, that it really affected me just to see the gentleness. He didn't want it to bite him. He wasn't going to let it sit there and uh, suck his blood. He was. He wanted it to leave him alone, but he did it in a way that that mosquito flew away. It didn't kill it. So uh, we we can have lots of discussions about what does it mean if you can't kill. The Buddha never would allow the monks to make any kind of rule saying they couldn't eat meat or they couldn't eat the flesh of animals. And there was a big division uh, among his students because one of the troublemaker monks uh, decided there had to be a rule that no nobody not in the monks in the monastic rules that there that you couldn't eat meat and they they should just be vegetarians and the Buddha said that that would never be one of those rules and it caused that one group of monks to split off when and it. Uh, Later, most of them came back to the to the Buddha's group, but it was it was more of a political uh, argument. But uh, when people fed the monks and the nuns, they had to feed them whatever they could, and so the Buddha wasn't going to limit the people from the foods that you know the monks weren't supposed to go around and go. Well, what's on the menu before we go to to uh, let you feed us? So the People choose often to eat meat or to eat some, you know, where there are no rules about you have to be a vegetarian or a vegan or, you know, it, it goes on and on. And that's, that, that's your choice. And as we, as we refine these rules, the one about not killing and, and in regards to what we eat may become more refined for you. You know, you might want to, you may look at that. Um, I know there are a lot of people, especially in this part of the country, who like to hunt and fish, and um, that's that most. That's really that's killing. That's taking life, and that's a hard one. I I know I uh, have fam- family members in Wisconsin who you know fishing and hunting is an important part of part of that their lifestyle. But those are the kind of decisions you make gradually as you're training. You know, it's all gradual. 
and it's working with the things that you can work with now. There may be things that open up that later in your life you think, well, okay, I think I want to extend that more. For me, this would feel better. Or for me, this would feel that I'm, you know, I don't have anything that, uh, that's violating that precept. So the, the subtlety that you can see in the precepts, I think, is a wonderful thing to look at uh, over and over again. And the second one is refrain from stealing. And that can include lots of stuff. I know there are some very good articles that are on the website about the precepts. And uh, they, they talk about, some of those articles talk about the subtlety in the just stealing. Okay, probably nobody in here is a thief. And we can probably feel pretty safe most of the places we go. That's the way it is. But... We're also talking about stealing, uh, stealing someone's ideas or maybe taking supplies from the office uh, and things that we, we are not even conscious of that we may do that we want to, we, as we begin to look into the precepts more, we can, we can see other things that might uh, sometimes feel like we may be aware that it's something we're doing that doesn't really feel good, but it's just everybody does it, so we do that. Uh, the third is I undertake the training rule to refrain from sexual misconduct. And sexual misconduct for Buddhists is, uh, it's, I can't tell if that's coming through. <laughs> okay. just thought something was from outside was coming in through the... Um, so mis- sexual misconduct is having a sexual relationship with someone that isn't, uh, it isn't done with a good heart, and it's, you, it's never with a person who isn't, uh, say, old enough to, to be a, a partner, or someone who's under the guidance of their family, or someone who's also, if someone else is engaged in a, another relationship with someone, where you're always thinking about, first of all, is it, is it a positive, wholesome relationship? And then, are there other people who may be affected by this? That, uh, so if, if, it's, uh, if, it's, if someone else is married or in a long-term relationship, all, you have to look at the whole situation and be sure that everything is done without hurting either you or your partner or other people who may be involved with either one of you. So it's a broader interpretation than, um, you know, there's nothing in it about you can't have sex before you get married. It's not tied to any of that. It's, it's tied to how uh, free of any kind of uh, behavior that would hurt someone or, or harm someone. I'm sorry, what did you say? Um, I, w- I would think, I, w- I mean, that's how we would, I think that's how we should interpret it. It, it can be, it can be making someone feel really uncomfortable 
just because of innuendos or you know inappropriate touching yeah that's thank you sherry that's a that's good to think about um, and then the the fourth one is i un, i undertake the training the training rule to refrain from false speech and that's telling a lie so as you move on when you take the eight precepts which you you would have you can't do uh, you you need to stick with the five it, if you've only been you know you need to start with the five there's progression in these and there's a reason for it so when you move up to the eight precepts which is after you've had more time uh, in the practice and you've worked with these five the thing that changes when you take the eight precepts is all about speech it, it adds more things to right speech so that tells me right away speech is very very important and speech is probably the easiest place that we slip up and you know say things that we wish we hadn't said or uh, speak out of turn or so that the but we start out with just working with the training rule about avoiding telling lies false speech and the fifth one, which is always controversial, uh, uh, I undertake the training rule to refrain from intoxicating liquors and drugs that lead to heedlessness and carelessness. And we try to go around this one. We try to <laughs> go around it because there's so many people who will say, but I just have a glass of wine with dinner. And... Um, you know, if you read anything Bhikkhu Bodhi writes about the precepts, he doesn't, he doesn't walk around. He says, this means we don't drink. That we undertake the training rule to not drink. So if, if you're drinking now, that doesn't mean you're not, you can still be training. Um, training might be cutting back. Training might be just letting go of it. But it, that's what we know in our culture. That's very hard to do. But um, the reason that's so important for Buddhists is when you drink, and, it, and it, everyone knows or thinks they know what their limit is to how much they can drink and be okay, but it affects your mind. And what we do as Buddhists is our, we're working with our mind all the time. That's exactly what we're doing when we meditate. We're working with this mind. And uh, it's where we, it's, it's how we see, it's how we, it's our perception, our viewpoint, everything is affected by the, uh, how much alcohol, yeah. Yeah, the, um, the way this is worded is what leads to uh, heedlessness and carelessness, which of course is the opposite of a clear and confident mind. So the whole point is, the problem with taking in chemicals is that it blocks part of your cultivation of who you are. Yes. And uh, chemicals cut in between, and they, uh, in between you and yourself, and they uh, create self-alienation, which makes mindfulness mindful possible. Yeah, thank you. That's, it's, that's absolutely what the Buddha was talking about. Um, because if we're, if we're trying to even develop our meditation practice, letting go of the ego and seeing things 
you know, even seeing things, we're trying to even get the let the get rid of the ego, get rid of the the I. Um, the uh, drugs and alcohol can keep us from being able to do that, or even seeing that that's seeing what is there. So um, this this has to be one that people we there are more questions about than others. But it's up to the individual. Like nobody's going to be, we're not going to, you know, put a little chip in you or anything to see what you're doing. And you make your own choices, your own decisions about things. Uh, there's a, uh, but I think when we talk about it, it's probably. Uh, I know we used to talk about it like, well, you know, if you think you can handle. Uh, drink a couple of drinks, well, and you you know watch yourself and sort of test yourself and see. But I think it's better to just say, from a Buddhist point of view, alcohol and drugs are not helping at all. You know, it's not. It doesn't help your practice. It doesn't help your uh, the state of your mind. So that's the five. And if you, if you take if you take these in a ceremony, there are people that sometimes will sit out. Uh, they don't move physically, but they may that they may not be ready for some of the precepts. But it doesn't hurt to say I, I'd like to undertake the training of this and work with it, and don't be don't feel like a failure if you're if you have trouble with any of the precepts. Because if people didn't have trouble with them, we wouldn't need to have the precepts. We would just all know what's great behavior. And I think some of the, uh, it, we build up, then the eight precepts adds more speech. It adds uh, the, let's see, I'll read the exact, uh, false speech, and then another precept with the eight is malicious speech, and then there's harsh speech. And then the, everybody's favorite is uh, useless speech or idle chatter. And that includes lots of stuff that's very easy to do, and that includes gossip. And just, uh, you know, sometimes we're in social situations where we feel like mindless chatter is what the occasion calls for. Because it might be very, it's, it can be uncomfortable socially uh, to even know what to talk to other people about. So it's, we're in situations all the time that test us with that. And you, and you know, the rule is that you need to wait, you need to have been meditating for six months before you think about taking the precepts. And then you would only take the eight precepts at least a year later. And then the third set of precepts that we give here at Blue Lotus are the Ten Perfections. Uh, and they're often, they're usually called the Ten Perfections, and we, we, we don't have in our tradition uh, bodhisattva vows, but these are, these are our kind of equivalent to bodhisattva vows. And they are the, the, the Ten Perfections, or the qualities and they're beautiful to study at any at any time you can be working with these 10 qualities because they and are time, I'm not giving you guys a chance to talk uh, generosity and virtue and 
a renunciation or letting go of things we don't need, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, determination, loving kindness, and equanimity. And so those are actually qualities that from the very, very first day we're working with and working on. So you, can, you certainly don't have to wait until you decide you want to take those precepts to uh, be studying and working on those qualities. They're just built in all the Buddha's teachings. So this is a pretty good uh, set of rules for the precepts, but I don't know if anybody has uh, questions. Maybe uh, I'm going to talk on Saturday about the precepts again. So uh, if you have questions, we can go do more with the questions. So thank you. Thanks for being here.